Netherlands Worldwide presents Radio Books, a series of contemporary Dutch and Flemish short stories in English translation. Hello and welcome to Radio Books. I'm David Swatling. Writer and cabaret artist Nilgen Yearly has said, humor is the best way to fight prejudice. Born in Turkey in 1969, she's lived in the Netherlands since she was 10. Much of her work is based on her own experiences, like her award-winning 2001 novel, The Shrimp Peeler, and her contribution to radio books. After living in the Netherlands almost 30 years, Yearly decided to return to Turkey in 2006. During two years there, she was surprised to find she often felt more Dutch than Turkish. Here's Feelings Without Frontiers by Nilgen Yurli. It's read by Jackie Spears. Is a fish conscious of being wet? Perhaps not. Surrounded by water, he'd be oblivious to the fact. He wouldn't know any better. He might only become aware of being wet once out of water. I ate my first conscious fish when I was six. In Turkey, we have these trout farms. All you have to do is point to a fish swimming in the water and it's caught, fried and dished up within ten minutes. As a child who was aware of very little, I picked out a lovely-looking fish and was appalled to have it brought to me on a plate moments later. I cried the whole place down for murdering my fish. My father had a wonderful explanation, though. Look, a fish comes into this world dreaming of just one thing, and that is to be gobbled up one day by someone who values and admires him. If you don't eat your fish, it will have died in vain, died without ever having realized his dream. Yes, he had a point. I ended up eating three trout that day. The girl in me from then and the turkey in me from then have changed. I'm taking part in a demonstration, a demonstration of two million people marching in defense of their freedom. I left this country 28 years ago, when it was in the throes of a conflict between left and right. The first and only other time I joined a demonstration in Turkey was in 1978. I was eight then, and marched alongside my mother and father. But being so young, I had no idea what left and right meant. I was still struggling with my left and right shoe. I'm no longer eight, but 38, and have lived 28 of those years in the Netherlands. And now that I'm back in Turkey, there's no more talk of the left and right, but of the radicals and liberals. The conflict is about the separation of religion and state, and the fact that the state wants to put an end to it. At least, that's what the liberals fear. The stones of liberalism were laid by Ataturk and should be left unturned. 
Millions of people have taken to the streets and are bravely brandishing banners criticizing the ruling party. The turkey I left behind was far less liberal. One bad word about the president and you could land yourself in jail for at least three months. But the turkey I've come back to is dotted with slogans against the president. It all appears so democratic. Has democracy blossomed in Turkey because of Europe? For 28 years, I had admired Turkey from afar. Holland, my home, gave me the freedom to do so. And now that I'm back in my native country, surrounded by two million people, I'm shouting and singing and jumping about to preserve that freedom. I'm good at it. I learned how in Holland. An elderly woman next to me is waving the Turkish flag and wailing for the president to go to Mecca and leave Ataturk's stones of liberalism alone. A man in front of me has taken off his T-shirt of the Turkish flag and is flapping it about as he sings, No more headscarves, no more shrouds, don't shroud our women, don't shroud the soul. The song moves me, but I'm irritated by my cousin who's marching with me. This show of political emotion leaves her cold. The only thing she feels wound up about is her appointment. My cousin, a woman of 43, believes in fairy tales and above all in the mystery of fairy tales. She's a successful pharmacist and rich in many ways, not just financially. She's also intelligent, but not what you call pretty, at least not pretty enough to find a man without going to some effort. So she decided to look for a man on internet. That way she could introduce her soul first. Being a pharmacist, she was intent on meeting someone from the medical world. And as luck would have it, she found a medical love match website. It brought her into contact with a doctor who was also looking for a partner. Only the doctor had a slight defect. He was married. He confessed to it after five months of non-stop emailing. Yes, it was an omission, but it only increased my cousin's interest in him. How mysterious, she thought, whereas I thought, how impossible. After they'd been writing to each other for 11 months, the doctor decided to divorce his wife because she had been unfaithful. The fact that he and my cousin had been exchanging the most intimate emails day and night didn't count as deception because there was no physical infidelity involved. Of course, you can quibble over the nature of fidelity, whether it's physical or mental, but given that everyone perceives these things differently, I don't think there's any point. So I kept my mouth shut. Everything felt so odd anyway. I'd left Turkey 28 years earlier. I might have been born here, but I was brought up in Holland, and it was there that my heart belonged. Even so, I returned to my country of origin because I was fed up with being seen as a foreigner in Holland. After my half-British, half-Turkish husband and I got married, we carried on behaving as if we were still free to do as we wished. He had his work in London and Izmir, and I in the Dutch theatres. It was the perfect formula for a couple in love with each other and with their freedom. Because getting married is not easy. 
it's not even easy to find the right partner. It's a miracle that the right two people out of the six billion on Earth ever manage to find each other, let alone share their feelings. If ever you go to a demonstration and stop to think about all those people, their backgrounds and their preoccupations, then you'll realize that everything you do, feel and think is so irrelevant, and yet at the same time so significant. I look around and I'm astonished. Hey, look at that lady with a headscarf. She's also protesting against the Islamic party, I say to my cousin, who can do nothing other than nervously look around, a book clutched to her breast. The book is called City of Dreams. The doctor was reading it too and thought it was marvellous. The novel is set in 1661 and tells the story of a barber and surgeon and of the first miraculous steps taken in the medical world. The doctor was of the opinion that anyone with the slightest connection to the medical world should read it. My cousin had bought the book on his recommendation. Feeling obliged to look at the woman I had just pointed to, she said that the lady in question was probably lost. Why not just admit that you're prejudiced against women with headscarves I still find it strange that you refused to take on an assistant who wore one. That's because you don't understand. It wasn't just about my feelings. It was about my clients' feelings. You see, they're all liberals, and assistants with headscarves attract clients with headscarves. Worse still, my liberal clients would stop coming because they'd think I'd gone radical. Rubbish! In the old days, it was only the poor and uneducated who wore headscarves. But now it's a political statement, a way of asking the world to respect Islam. And the more you discriminate against them, the more headscarves you'll see. I can't put in more simply than that. Sounds impressive, but you haven't got the faintest idea of what it's like to live in Turkey. It's not like Amsterdam here. People are less open to change, especially if they feel it's a threat to their culture, traditions and beliefs. Painful though it was, she was right. There was nothing I could say in reply. I was born in Turkey, but I had been brought up in Holland. And although I was fed up with being an immigrant in Holland... I wasn't really a Turk in Turkey either. Do you still feel nervous about seeing him? I asked, just to change the perennial subject, given that I couldn't change reality. Extremely nervous, she said. It stood to reason, really. They had been emailing each other for two whole years, and today was the day their bodies would meet. Their email exchange had been heartfelt and intense. My cousin would often forward me the emails in order to show me just how wonderful this man was, this man who was healing her heart. One day he sent her an email in which he put the following question to her. My wife and I have been arguing again. She's awful. I'm not even allowed to feel at home in my own house. She rules it with an iron hand. What a ridiculous control freak she is. The other day, for instance, she lays into me for always flinging my dirty clothes on the floor. She insists that I throw my pants, socks, shirts, t-shirts and God knows what else 
into the laundry basket instead. What difference does it make what I take off or wear? Surely love should transcend those sorts of irritations. What would you do if I flung my clothes on the floor? The answer was simple. I'd buy ten laundry baskets and spread them about the place so that you could never miss. Unless you were taking your clothes off for me. I thought her answer was fantastic. However, it did prove that she too would want him to throw his pants and socks into the laundry basket. Only her judgment was clouded by her desire for him, or rather, the illusion created by her desire. They had never seen each other, but they admired each other greatly. Their love and desire grew with each day, or rather, with each email. How could that be? Is it possible to fall head over heels in love with someone you've never laid eyes on? Wasn't being in love subjective? Wasn't she just in love with being in love? Or with a fantasy? But what if the fantasy of his body turned out to be more beautiful than the reality? Or is it different when it's the soul you love? The soul might be the sum of your thoughts, but how many of your thoughts do you dare to lay bare? Are you really prepared to put your soul on show? My cousin piously believed that the doctor was laying his thoughts entirely bare and that, for the very first time, she was too. Their souls were making love. Once she sent him a blank email just to prove how deeply in love she was with him. This man, who she didn't know, who she was scared of getting to know because she was scared of ruining the magic, of disappointing him, of losing that place she now occupied in his heart and soul. Desire is always more appealing than possession. So she sent him a blank email, which to her said it all. But it was also a test to see whether he really understood her, because a lot of men would have replied, I got an email from you, but there was nothing in it. Or else they wouldn't have replied at all. But he did. Hmm, the language of love, he said. She started to admire him even more. He understood her. He understood that she had wanted to say so very much more. And she wrote back, The language of love is silent and therefore so mysterious, loud and therefore so tumultuous, aloof and therefore so intriguing, complex and therefore so exciting, contradictory and therefore so unpredictably unpredictable, frightening and therefore so alluring, tempestuous and therefore scrumptious, timeless and therefore so insatiable. He replied with just one word, marvelous. And there were more emails. A month went by. She wrote, it really is very silent now. 
He replied instantly, silent because so busy, so much to do and not enough time to do it in. Upon which she wrote, wanting but not being able to, able but doubting whether you should, you've got to do what you want, though time always pushes and pulls. The doctor didn't reply at first. Only a week later did he email with, Silence is the only adequate reply. She answered, Have you heard the story about the two lovers gazing into the sunset? One says, Isn't it beautiful? To which the other replies, You've ruined it now. Silence is better sometimes. It says far more. The doctor fell in love again. The way I read you, taste you, admire you as each day passes, you penetrate deeper into my cells. My soul belongs to you, my body to the universe. But his desire began to frighten her. Every day he closed in on her more and more. This was what she had wanted. But what if he or she turned out to be a disappointment? What if the illusion turned into disillusion? As far as I was concerned, the only way to find out was to try it out. When I was little, I suffered from the illusion that I would understand everything later. When I was grown up, it is later now, and I understand far less than I did. In Holland, I thought that I didn't understand things because I was foreign. But now that I'm back where I came from, there's still so much I don't understand. I can no longer say it's because I'm a child or a foreigner. But there is a sense in which I am a foreigner. And it's only now that I realize that it's much worse being a foreigner in the country you came from than in the country you immigrated to. I often get lost in Turkey, the city of Izmir, where I am now. Never fails to surprise me. There's a synagogue, church and mosque built side by side here. But it's not just the buildings that stand side by side. The people do too, whatever their beliefs. They see and live their lives differently, but they respect and admire one another. And at their various religious festivals, they all get together. This is not the turkey I'd experienced when living in Holland, but it is possible. The Dutch media only reported the negative news about Turkey, and the bad news is enough to put anyone off having countries like Turkey join the European Union. Turkey's lack of spending power, high inflation, low wages, poor labor conditions, not to forget its infamous record on human rights, might be considered reason enough to be excluded from the EU. However, many worse-off countries have been admitted, despite Turkey's unique position as a bridge between Asia and Europe. I'm beginning to ask myself whether Turkey's record on human rights is the only reason. Could it be that the EU is afraid that half of the 65 million Turks living in Turkey will look for a future in the promised land of Europe? I'm always struck by the fact that 
Every time the subject of Turkish membership is raised, the film Midnight Express is shown, a film depicting the violation of human rights in Turkish prisons. Turkey is liberal in the sense that it is the only Islamic country to uphold the division between religion and state. And that's why two million people have taken to the streets to keep things this way. Turkey, a country whose shroud has been torn, one side completely free, the other side free up to frontiers fixed by the laws of God. Freedom with frontiers is the only kind of freedom that appeals to me. Unrestricted freedom makes me long for restrictions. Daring to feel alive and to experience what you feel is a maxim that has made my life worth living. But at the same time, I know that it's easier said than done. It doesn't take much to feel, my mother once said. Feelings happen by themselves. I found her words convincing, and they gave me confidence too. I didn't need to do anything in order to feel. It would happen by itself. But later, I discovered that it is an effort to feel things. Or rather, it's an effort not to suppress your feelings, but to acknowledge and give in to them, to discover and recognize them. How difficult it was to feel. Life needs contrast in order to keep its balance, day and night, autumn and spring, and love and hate. Politics is derived from the Greek word meaning many faces, but you don't need to go into the etymology of the word to see that politics has many faces. Take my cousin, for instance. I can't understand her at all, neither intellectually nor intuitively. I can understand her loving a man and then turning away. Feelings are fickle after all, but it's her principles that confuse me. I can't understand her refusing to employ a woman with a headscarf while she's out here marching in defense of democracy. Having waited for eight long months, my cousin had run out of patience and wrote, Beyond the dream is the act. Let's meet. I miss your thoughts. I miss your words. I miss your invisible visibility. I want to see you. I must see you. In front of my house, there's a beautiful big bridge where I always stop to make a wish. I want to kiss you on that bridge and hold you dear. Even if for just one kiss, please meet me at the bridge. The soul alone is for the dead. With the body it should wed. Let our souls journey into the realm of pleasure. I want you. Seven minutes later, he replied, Yes, easier it is to succumb than to resist. I have tried and tried, but to give in to desire would make me know I'm alive. You're right, the soul is strong, flesh is weak, but after two years it's time for body and soul to meet. I'll come to you. But let's make it big. Let's meet at the demonstration in Izmir. There is no bigger place to be. I want to feel the power, feel the fact that somewhere in the midst of two million people, there's 
a woman waiting and longing for me. And I too will be there for you. Meet me at Denny's restaurant at 2 p.m. Holding the book, City of Dreams. Until then. Then arrived. We slowly surged forwards with the crowd. We were a hundred meters from the restaurant. It was ten to two. There he was with his book, City of Dreams. He was tall, well-dressed, with curly hair, big brown eyes, and thin, fanciful lips. But above all, he was real. I snatched the book out of my cousin's hand and marched up to an unkempt, fat, wrinkled lady who looked depressed. I gave her the book and asked her to hold on to it for five minutes. In the genial spirit of the day, she was happy to comply. Thoroughly perplexed by what I'd just done, my cousin became angry, but I managed to calm her down by saying, if he really is in love with your mind and soul, then he should be able to love your mortal body, which belongs to the universe, however ugly it is. Be patient. Just watch. He doesn't yet know that you are the author of all those emails. He thinks it's the lady with the book. If he goes up to her, it'll prove you're right, that he loves you no matter what you look like, that he's in love with your soul. However, if he walks away from her, then he's not to be trusted. He longs for the body more than the soul. She agrees to the plan and stands there watching patiently. We look at the man who's oblivious to us. He looks for the woman with the book in her hand. He spots the ugly lady. Disappointment spreads across his face. He looks around, as if in search of another woman with a book, but in vain. This is the book he was looking for. He slowly lowers his own book, which he had held close to his chest, and drops it into a plastic bag. He takes one more look at the lady and turns round. My cousin watches the scene in distress. This can't be true. Surely the man who she had shared so many feelings with cares more about the soul than appearances. She wants to walk up to him, but I stop her. I was glad I'd thought up this plan, because my cousin wasn't much to look at either, but at least her disappointment would be cushioned by the fact that he had rejected the ugly woman instead. The demonstration was winding up. People had been marching since six in the morning with a banner two kilometres long, raised above their heads. They were getting tired and were trickling home. My cousin had had enough and wanted to go home too. But as she made her way towards the woman to reclaim her book, we noticed that the man was walking back to the woman too. His soul had conquered his body. He wanted to get to know her. He approached her and said, I'm Kaya. You must be Doa. Upon which my cousin screamed, No, I'm Doa. And how intensely relieved he looked.
Feelings Without Frontiers by Nilgen Yurley was translated by Imogen Cohen and read by Jackie Spears. The music was by Barana. I'm David Swatling, hoping you'll join us again for Radio Books. To listen to other short stories in our radio book series, visit our website, radionetherlands.nl. We're always interested to hear what you think, and you can let us know by dropping us a line at letters at rnw.nl. Radio Books is produced in association with the Flemish-Dutch Haus de Buren in Brussels and the Flemish broadcaster Clara. Radio Books is a presentation of Radio Netherlands Worldwide.